So this morning I want to honor a couple who have been married for 61 years. Some of you know these guys. This is Bill and Joanne Harper. Bill, would you all stand up for me, please? Let's give Bill and Joanne a round of applause. We need to honor these guys. 61 years of marriage. So proud of you guys. So encouraged. Uh, when I was talking with Bill this morning, I thought he said he was celebrating his wife's 61st birthday. Uh, I said, Bill, I don't see how Joanne could have been married 61 years. She looks 61 years old. Now, Bill, on the other hand, uh, no comment. Now, hey, and if you guys don't know Bill, I, I'm, a, I'm a young preacher. I've been doing this full time now for about five years. And he has always had an encouraging word to say to me. And so, Bill, I just want to say in front of our church family how much I appreciate your encouragement. What a blessing it has been to me. Uh, Even when I know I have preached a bad sermon, and there have been two or three of those over the years, Bill has had an encouraging word to say to me. Brother, from the bottom of my heart, your encouragement ministry has been a blessing to me. So I really appreciate that. Joanne, thank you for your support of this guy. I know behind every great man is a great woman. 61 years, guys. I work with marriages all the time. Now, that is a rarity in our culture today. And so we, we do celebrate you guys. You guys, if you get the chance to shake their hand or encourage them, please do that today. I'm going to be in uh, the book of John. We're going to be starting a new series. I'm going to be in the 14th chapter. This new sermon series is called Rooted in the Spirit. And if you've been keeping up with me on social media, I've been trying to keep you informed. My bride and I and our children had the chance to go to uh, Colorado this last week. My wife's mom has a timeshare there. And we hung out in some of the most beautiful areas of the country in some of the most pleasing weather imaginable. We had a blast. And while we were on our trip, we uh, took a tour of the Betty Ford Alpine Garden in Vail, Colorado. And in the Betty Ford Alpine Garden, I got a picture of this on the screen, is a flower called the Alpine Spring Beauty. And so these are small river rocks to give you the scale. You can see that flower right in the middle of the screen. It's, it's uh, uh, kind of like a succulent. It's almost like a cactus. And it's really small. The leaves just get inches. It's never going to grow much bigger than that. But the really cool thing about the Alpine Spring Beauty, I'll show you this next slide. While the leaves never grow more than a few inches tall, this, this particular plant is famous because of the depth of its root system. And you can see there's a plaque on the wall in the Betty Ford Alpine Gardens that show uh, a, a pretty good picture representation of the length of the leaves compared to the length of the root. The leaves only get a few inches long. The root actually gets up to six feet in length. The root is much, much bigger than the plant that you can actually see. And God designed this really intentionally. The Alpine Spring Beauty grows almost above the tree line in altitude. And above the tree line, the soil that the Alpine Spring Beauty grows in is constantly changing. The topography of the, of the soil is constantly changing. It'll snow. The snow starts to melt, gets down in the crevices of rocks. It then freezes later on in the season. That causes an expansion. Rocks break off and shift. 
And the root system of the Alpine Spring Beauty keeps it attached despite the changes of the environment that it lives in. The second thing is that that, that, that particular root system goes deep into the earth and can draw water out when, where no water really exists. This particular area of the country that this flower is found in is high desert. So they get very little rain. They do get snow in the, in the winter, but the snow is not a great source of water. And so when the snow melts, it drifts into the soil. And that root system actually keeps the root alive, even in a drought. Even in a season where there's been no rain or very little rain, the root system keeps the flower and the plant alive. This is also found in an area that would be just beaten up and battered by almost constant winds. Above the tree line, there are no trees to block the sheer force of the winds. And so not only does the anchor keep the flowers and the, and the plant attached during changing landscape, and not only does it keep it alive during a season of drought, it keeps the plant anchored even in the midst of the storm. And if we can become anchored in the Spirit, our root system, deeply rooted in the Spirit, will have the same effect in our lives. Even during seasons of spiritual drought, our deep tap roots will keep us alive. Even if the environment and situation of our life is changing, our roots in the Spirit will keep us anchored. And even if hurricane force winds blow, and sometimes in the Alpine winds get that uh, harsh, even if hurricane force winds are blowing in our lives, if, our, if we are deeply rooted in the Spirit, we'll stay anchored in the midst of the storm. Can I get an amen, somebody? So I'm going to go to John chapter 14. I'm going to actually, i got 6 through 11 written on the screen, but I wanted to back up to verse 5. And one of the things that inspired this particular sermon series, Rooted in the Spirit, is uh, Lindy and our children's ministry team are teaching our kids the fruit of the Spirit. But uh, this particular uh, teaching for our uh, elementary school kids didn't start in Galatians 5.22. And you know the nine fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's Galatians 5.22. But, but the fruit implies that there are branches that the fruit grow on. And branches imply that there's a vine that the branches are connected to. And in John chapter 15 and verse 5, I don't have this on the screen, but we're eventually going to get there. The vine is, in John 15, 5, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before we can have a discussion about the spiritual fruit that the Holy Spirit helps us to bear in life, we've got to have a discussion about being the branches that are connected to the vine that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we look at John chapter 14 and chapter 15 where Jesus kind of talks about this process, I want to start right here. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus teaches us that we have to be rooted in Him to be, be deeply rooted in the Spirit. So I want to pick up our text in John 14, chapter 6, uh, uh, John 14, verse 5, and then we'll go 6 through 11. The Bible says this. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well, 
from now on you do know him and have seen him. In verse 8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And then Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the work themselves. Jesus is actually asked four questions in a series starting in, in the, at the tail end of John 13. Peter asks him actually two questions. Then Thomas asks a question here. Philip asks a question here. And then Judas, son of James, asks another question. I thought about teaching you through each of the questions. But I was worried for the sake of time we wouldn't have enough time to teach through all that. So I wanted to teach you through these two. The question that Thomas asks and the question that Philip asks. And in these two questions, we get an understanding of how we can begin to be deeply rooted in the Spirit. How we can really start to put roots down. And the first thing that we realize, based on how Jesus responds to both, both Thomas and Philip, that's true for you today, is that you are more ready to be deeply rooted than you realize. You are more ready to be deeply rooted than you realize. If you go back to John 14... And you'd look at verse 6. Thomas said, Jesus, show us the way. And in other words, Thomas didn't feel prepared. He didn't feel ready to follow the way that Jesus was calling him to live out. And what does Jesus say in verse 6? I am the way, the truth, and the light. If you know me, in other words, you already know the way. And Thomas, you do know me. And then later in verse 9, after Philip says, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, that'll be good, for, good enough for us. Jesus says, Philip, you have already seen the Father because you've already seen me. And so often in life when storms blow and rains come or it's been a season of drought and rains haven't come or the soil in our life is shifting and changing and moving and we feel unprepared to face that season and those challenges and that changing landscape, God would say to us through the person of Jesus Christ, Trent, church family, you're more prepared than you even realize. The resources you need to survive this season I've already installed in your life. I'm the way you're going to get through this. God's the way you're going to get through this. And if you've seen me, you've seen God. If you've seen me, then you know the way. But the enemy wants us to recoil in fear and not feel prepared and feel inadequate and not feel confident. And the first thing Jesus tells these guys who are feeling inadequate and not feeling prepared and not feeling confident is you already have the resources you need to be deeply rooted and survive the storm. And that's true for you this morning. So if we really want to look at what it means to be deeply rooted... The first thing we have to do is we have to really come to know the person of Jesus Christ. When he's answering both Thomas and Philip, he uses that word really. If you look back at John 14, 6 or 11, you'd see that Jesus tells Thomas, Dude, if you really knew me, you would know that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Or he says to Philip, Hey, if you really knew me, 
then you would know that you've seen the Father when you've seen me. And the truth here is it is possible to know someone without really knowing them. And I'm sorry to say, but so often in our culture, this is true in most of our relationships. Not always, but lots of the time it's true in our relationship. We know people casually, but we don't really know them. And we have to be careful in churches that we don't become familiar with Jesus without really knowing the power that exists in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have this on the screen, but James chapter 2, verse 19 says that even the demons of hell itself know about Jesus. But they don't really know Jesus. And we're going to lack the capacity to become deeply rooted in the Spirit. We won't have the ability to become deeply rooted in the Spirit until we really know Jesus. I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But one example that I thought of as I was praying through this and preparing for this is Kirsten and I were having lunch with a couple. This has been probably five, maybe even six years ago. And we had three kids at the time. And this this particular couple didn't have any kids, but one member of the couple did work with children. And so we're out to eat. We got our three kids sitting at the table. And at the time, that would have been like a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. So you can imagine what it would be like coming to dinner or or coming to a lunch with Kirsten and I with a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. It's kind of like all three of those seasons that being deeply rooted prepares us for. Hurricane force winds, a season of drought, and changing landscape, all at the exact same time. Can I get a witness, somebody who's got a house full of kids? Somebody shout amen again. Y'all, the, the, the people who are going to shout amen right there are too fatigued uh, by their lifestyle to really give emphasis to that amen. Lord, bless those families in the name of Jesus. All right, so we're sitting there, and Kirsten and I had kind of acclimated to that, but this particular couple hadn't. They didn't have kids, and one of these guys starts advising us, huh, come on, somebody, on how we should parent our children. Now, some of y'all have been through that experience, and being the Christ-centered, deeply-rooted individual that I was, I just weathered through it, and I thought to myself, It's going to be really interesting to have a discussion with these people after they have children to see if the advice that they gave us was really as valid as they felt it was at the time. I've told you this before, but as an educated psychotherapist, there was a guy who went out to write a book called The Ten Commandments of Parenting Before He Had Children. He gets married, he has children, and he, he decides he's going to change the name of the book to Eight Principles of Parenting. Then he has two children, and he decides, I'm going to rename the book, A Few Thoughts on Parenting. (laughs) And after his third child, he actually enters into marital therapy. Says he's not writing a book. So these guys guys are advising us. and And I was thinking as I was preparing for this, you know, there are some things in life that are more to be experienced than they are to be explained. In other words, you can't really know until you've experienced it. And it is, it, it's so similar in the Lord Jesus Christ, you guys. I, I knew the Lord Jesus, even in my sin and sickness and darkness and shame. But it wasn't until that moment new life rose up in me and I was clothed with the Lord Jesus Christ that I really knew Jesus. And that's the first thing you've got to do if you want to really know Jesus is you've got to get a new life. You have to be made brand new. And some of you don't feel anchored in the changing landscape or hurricane force winds or the drought that you're in, 
Some of you don't feel anchored, and it's because you haven't been made brand new. I like Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. I got this on the screen for you. The Apostle Paul summarizes it really beautifully right here. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's how you get a new life. Your old life has to end. The old you has to end and be buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, underline this, may have a new life. A brand new life. There are not many areas in your life where you really get to start fresh. But that word for new in the Greek is taken from the word kairos, which either means fresh or the right time. And that's also where Kirsten and I uh, got our, our daughter's name, Kyra. She's our middle child. And it really didn't feel like the right time to have a child at the particular moment we learned we were going to have a child. And we start praying. And I was reading in Galatians. And the Bible in Galatians says, If you don't grow weary in doing good, at the right time, Kairos, you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so often our new life in Christ is about that. It's about realizing that the time is coming if we continue on, if we continue forward, if we continue to live brand new, where God's favor and fortune and blessing will reign in us and we can continue to live brand new. And it's not until your transformation, it's not until the old you has been put to death and the new you has been raised up to life that you get that blessing and that favor and that sustenance to stay anchored regardless of the season of life that you're in. Not only do you have to be made brand new, you've got to follow the tracks of Jesus. You've got to follow the tracks of Jesus. So in John 14, 6, Jesus says, Thomas, I'm the way. I'm the way. If you don't know the way, that's fine because you know me. And if you know me, then really you do know the way. You just don't know that you know the way. And Jesus would tell you some of that, some of you that this morning. Look, if you've been made brand new in Christ and you find yourself asking that same question, Jesus, I don't feel like I know the way. I don't feel like I know how to handle this moment in my life or this situation or how to handle this drought or the landscape's changed so significantly. How, how can I handle this? Jesus would say, you already know the way. You just don't know that you know the way. So we're traveling uh, and, and through Colorado Springs and we got to do the Royal Gorge train, which is a train ride through this uh, valley. And I was writing this sermon, and I was praying over this. And I told Kirsten, like, after we finish the Royal Gorge train, I want you to take a picture of the train track. So this is original artwork right here, courtesy of my bride. She took a picture of the track. And she was like, why did you want me to do that? And I said, you know, what's interesting about a train is it doesn't need to know the way it's going. All it needs to do is follow the tracks. And if a train will just stay on track... Even if it doesn't necessarily know when the journey ends or the turn that the journey is going to take, as long as the train stays on the tracks, the train is going to get where it's supposed to go. And if you feel like you don't know the way, all you have to do is follow the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ to remain deeply rooted in the Spirit. Come on, somebody. And you're going to get to where you need to go, even if you don't know that you already know the way. However the track turns, whatever the elevation gain and loss, even in the darkness of night, all you got to do is keep following the track. You don't have to know the way. You just keep following the tracks laid by the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to get to where He needs for you to go 
no matter what path the tracks take. So that's the first critic. Yeah, give God a, a, a hand clap of praise for that. Praise the Lord. Not only is this about being transformed through the power of Jesus and following in his tracks, this is also about learning to practice the Spirit's presence. So there's a twofold introductory part to this sermon series. The first is you've got to be transformed by Christ to be deeply rooted in the Spirit. And that means being clothed with Christ, the old you being put to death, the new you being brought up to brand new life with a fresh start, and the time is now, the time is right. Kairos is new life. But once we start living in that new life, in John 14, Jesus talks about giving something after he departs to us to help us follow those tracks. And that's when we start talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Because what Jesus is talking about later in John 14, starting in verse 25, is the, the, the Holy Spirit, He's going to leave to us to help guide us. And the Spirit's going to do three things. I want to read from John 14, 25. If you're already in John 14, I want you to stay there. John 14, 25 says this. All this, this is Jesus talking. Now, I've spoken while still with you. But at some point I'm going to depart and the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. That's the first thing the Spirit does. And remind you of everything I have said to you. That's the second thing. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. If you want to be deeply rooted in the Spirit, be made brand new in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're more ready than you realize to be deeply rooted. And also follow the tracks laid by Jesus. And at that point, begin to practice the presence of the Spirit. If you've been made brand new in Jesus Christ, the Spirit is trying to work on you. But you've got to learn how to hear and sense and feel the Spirit's working in your life. And that's a discipline that you can learn to develop. I feel like in my personal life, uh, this is 14 years coming up this December of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel like I am so much better at listening to the Spirit today than I was 14 years ago. And in the last five years of my ministry, I feel like today I'm better at being inspired by the Spirit and hearing from the Spirit in sermon preparation and trying to get in tune with what the Spirit has for you than I was five years ago. And if you'll keep praying for me, and if you'll keep tolerating my growth, I'm believing that five years from now I'm going to be even much better than I am today. And so if you'll work on developing that skill, and I'm telling you, my personal testimony is it's a skill that can be developed. God will help you learn to practice that Spirit's presence in your life. First thing the Spirit wants to do in your life is to teach you. One of my favorite teachers uh, in all of my education uh, was a lady named Barbara Firestone. She was my fifth grade teacher at McCollum Elementary School. And the fav- my, the, my favorite lesson that she taught us was how to listen. And I, I grew up love, with a love of reading. My mom read to us all the time. And one hour a day, every single class that we had with her, she would sit the whole class down in front of her and she would make, force us to make eye contact with her. And she taught us nonverbal listening cues, which I appreciate as a preacher, which are things like this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Head nods, w- winks maybe, uh, you know, thumbs up. Some of you guys, thumbs up. And then there are verbal listening cues. Now, I'm going to ask somebody to give you one of these. All right, on the count of three, Kurt, give me a Jesus. One, two, three. Okay, that's, a, that's a verbal listening cue, all right? 
Now, if you're unprepared for that, Kurt's going to wake you up from time to time in a sermon, Kurt, and I appreciate that, brother. All right? So give that man a hand, okay? Now, as a preacher, I appreciate verbal listening cues, but if I'm being honest, sometimes that even gets me. You know what I'm saying? So verbal listening cue would be like, Jesus, or amen, or praise God. She taught us how to make eye contact, do nonverbal listening skills and verbal listening skills, and it became an interactive process, that learning that, that, that happened in that classroom. And that's the method of the Spirit's teaching. It's an interactive process. We take a few steps down the track, and if we're calm enough and still enough and aware enough, we can sense the Spirit saying, hey, you're on track, or uh-oh, slow down, or hey, curve up ahead, or you're going to start climbing. This is going to be a difficult season, but you're prepared, and the Spirit's going to remind us, is the second thing, that we have already the resources that we need. The, the Greek word for remind in this particular text is taken from the word hypomene, which means either patience or endurance. And in life, it's the Spirit's role to help us endure. And the Spirit is going to remind us, hey, this season that you're in, whether you're battling an emotional situation or a physical illness or relational problem, maybe it's financial, there are so many things that the enemy can attack us with, so many areas of possible battlefronts. And it's the Spirit's role to remind you of the things that God has done for you through the person of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And if you look at the original language, this is not done for the purpose of chastisement. You're wrong. You're bad. Remember the law. Remember the way you should go. This is done for the purpose of promoting endurance and patience just to help you keep rolling down the tracks. And the last thing the Spirit's role is to do is to promote peace. Jesus is saying, I'm giving you an advocate. He's going to teach you. That's going to be an interactive process. If you can learn to listen and sense his leadership, he's going to remind you that's to help you endure and stay patient no matter the storm, no matter the change in landscape, no matter the drought. And he is also going to give you peace. Something interesting about the Alpine Spring Beauty, and I'm going to close, is that the root system is so deep, if you were to grab the flower that you can see and rip it up, it would regrow. That's how powerful it is. And I begin to think to myself, you know, that's what the true peace of God is really like. Even if everything in your life seems like it's totally destroyed, think about this. If your taproot is deeply rooted in the Spirit, even if everything seems destroyed, God will promote new growth where the old destruction has occurred. And if you know that there is nothing in the world that can really destroy, that can truly, that can truly take away your peace, then you really can weather any situation in life. I want to encourage you this morning and remind you that it takes years for the taproot of the Alpine Spring Beauty to grow that deeply. So be patient with your growth. Allow the Spirit's presence to teach and remind you and promote peace and and allow the growth to take place. And if you'll do, what you'll find is that you cannot be shaken and you'll never be defeated. If there's a need in your life, I want to challenge you this morning to come forward. Maybe your root's not as deep as it needs to be and you need to get more in tune with the Spirit. 
Maybe you have never been made brand new in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've never obeyed the gospel. That's the first most critical step. Maybe it's something that I haven't even mentioned that the Lord is moving on your heart. If that's you this morning, I'm going to close in prayer. After I pray, our whole church is going to stand up and make plenty of room for you to come down the aisle. You won't have to pass anybody awkwardly. They'll already be standing. And we want to meet with you here, and we want to pray over you, and we want to encourage you, and we want to allow the Lord to help your root become deeply rooted in the Spirit. Bow with me while we pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for this church, for what a blessing it is to have the opportunity to be a minister of the Word in such a great place. And God, I ask that as we are are working through the the idea of being more deeply rooted in the Spirit, that we would all uh, put roots more deeply in you through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. And if there is a need anywhere in this church today, I ask that you empower those men and women to come forward to be ministered to you by you and to, to feel their roots being more deeply tapped into your spirit by your power. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please stand with me while we sing.